Hello, friends, and welcome to the Coffee and Deer podcast. I'm your host, Nick Penizzato. Along with me, as always, is the doctor, Mike Groman. Today, we're going to be talking with one of my colleagues here at the National Deer Association, Mr. Brian Grossman, who we affectionately refer to as G here on the NDA team. He's our communications manager, but much more than that, a very accomplished hunter, habitat manager. He has a really, really cool path that he took to get to the NDA, which I think you'll find interesting. And he's also the host of our sister podcast, Deer Season 365. And as you'll hear, if you haven't heard him yet, his voice is much more cut out for the podcast world, (laughs) even than the doctor and I. So good to see you there, doctor. And uh, how are things going for you today? Good, good. Busy day today, uh, wrapping things up in my current work life and getting ready for my next work life. So it's been busy. Yeah, I'm sure. Sure, it has been. Glad you could jump on here and see us through another episode here of Coffee and Deer. Hey, our show sponsor today is Matthews Archery and Mission Crossbows. Uh, you know, the name speaks for itself here, folks, in terms of quality and reliability. When you say, hear the word Matthews, I think those things go hand in hand. And I want you to be sure to check out on the Matthews side of things. Uh, Matthews has the VX3 uh, new bow that I've been hearing a lot about. Uh, you want to check that out, out over at MatthewsInc.com. By the way, Matthews, people get this wrong all the time. Matthews is not two T's, it's one T. So it's Matthews Inc. one T. Dot com. Check out the VX3. And then over on the Mission Crossbows side of the business, uh, Mission Crossbows really continue to grow in popularity. They've got the Sub 1 XR, which uh, again is another uh, bow we're hearing a lot about. And so be, over, be sure to check out our friends at Matthews who have been longtime supporters here at the National Deer Association. Ask NDA anything. That's coming up in the next episode, but Mike, I got to tell you, we're already getting questions in. I've already got two. So we've got some early good. early adopters here this time around. That's good. I mean, it seems like uh, that we're starting to catch some momentum here. People are starting to recognize that in the B team report is being regulars for the show. And I've heard a lot of positive feedback for both that people really look forward to those. Well, I think you should talk about the T-shirt you just showed me because it's relevant here. Okay, so uh, as I said before, uh, I'm changing positions, you know, from one university going uh, to another one out of state. And I was um, with some colleagues today that I've worked very closely with and have always been really good. And um, one of the individuals listens to the show faithfully. So we have a faithful uh, follower in that capacity. And one of the gifts that they gave going away presents or gifts that they gave me was the first official B team t-shirt. So what I will make a promise to do is I will make a promise to all of the people that do follow my Instagram account. I'll don that shirt and take a picture with that pretty soon, but it's the first official B team t-shirt. Cause I know we had a ask NDA question about that a few months ago. Well, it almost makes me think we need to have some B team apparel of some sort. And so uh, I, don't, I don't know that I can ask, you know, the NDA to foot the bill for that, but they might have to come up with a few things. Uh, I was Maybe inspired. you and I have to develop a little pot and a uh, little kitty and do that on the side. Maybe just from, for something 
from the B team for the B team. How about that? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So no, I love it. It's a cool shirt and look forward to seeing the Instagram post on that. But anyway, I think the other thing is in terms of gaining momentum is we get past that July 4th sort of holiday weekend. I start noticing people increasingly with an interest in getting ready for deer season, trail camera pictures, people shooting their, their bows, getting their guns out, uh, seeing what they've got in stock for their camo, you name it. And I think the same thing for podcasts and I do it myself. I mean, I try to listen to as many different podcasts around the industry as I can just to see what's going on out there and hear from some different people. And my interest in that starts picking up too this time of year. And so I think that's part of it. I think we're just getting a spike in listenership and people are like, oh yeah, I remember when I listened to the show last fall, these guys were giving out hats and SUVs and all kinds of stuff for good questions. So uh, anyway, ask NDA anything you still have uh, until next episode to get your question in. Hey, the latest NDA newsletter came out. Uh, and so just a couple things in there. One, A cool article, something I never really thought about uh, is how to create a heat refuge for deer. And most of the country right now is under some type of heat wave, uh, ourselves included here in the Northeast. And it made me think about, you know, deer dealing with heat. And so our, our buddy Zach from Whetstone Habitat has an article in this latest newsletter. And also in the newsletters, guys, we always have the age this, which I do every single time. It's fun to try to age deer and guess and then, you know, check the next newsletter to see how you did compared to the panel. That's not to say we're always right either here at the NDA. Uh, even our panelists will often disagree, but it's just fun to do. So that's in every single episode, as well as many other articles, uh, those types of things. So if you have not signed up for the NDA newsletter yet, please do it. DeerAssociation.com. You should get a pop-up there to sign up for the newsletter. All right. Let's go ahead and get into the interview here with uh, our man, Brian Grossman. This is going to be a fun one. Also, stay tuned after the interview we will give the B team report. So you got to look forward to that as well. So, all right, let's go ahead and bring in G. It is my pleasure to welcome to the Poppy and Deer Show, my friend and colleague here at the NDA, Communications Manager of National Deer Association, Brian Grossman. He's also the host of our sister podcast, Deer Season 365. So you may have also heard his million dollar voice over on that show. <laughs> and uh, Brian also does a lot of writing for us here, videos for us here at the NDA. And he's really the man behind our, our entire digital media presence. And actually right now he's helping guide us to the end of putting up a new website, which is coming here soon. We'll be excited to launch that. So gee, great to have you on the show. And we have you as the, as the guest on a podcast instead of the host this time. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's a little different feeling sitting on this side of the, the microphone. So uh, not, not too bad though, I guess, but yeah, I appreciate you guys having me on. Um, I, I, I got to assume that your, your first and second choice must have had, previous plans for the day or something but uh but no I, I, I appreciate you having me on and looking forward to, to talking with you guys nope that actually couldn't be further from the truth as a matter of fact <laughs> I was just talking to Lindsay and I said you know I really got to get G on the show because we're trying to make some rounds and get some different NDA staff on here and so really it just kind of became your turn to be on and I thought this would be a good week to do it 
And um, yeah, so let's let's start here, Brian. Let's go ahead and have you tell us about your path to NDA because it's kind of a cool one and I'm not sure everybody knows about it. So how the heck did you end up in that seat? Yeah, it's it's a little little different, not your typical, I guess, pathway to communications manager job because my background is certainly not communications. Uh, it's actually wildlife biology. Um, I got my wildlife degree, my bachelor's degree in wildlife biology from uh, Murray State University in Western Kentucky and spent uh, the first, I don't know, 15 years or so of my career kind of serving in that capacity. I've, I've worked for uh, the Kentucky Department of Fish and Wildlife uh, in the Georgia DNR, both managing public lands. So that was something that I was uh, enjoying and passionate about. And uh, yeah, there along the way, though, I started doing some some freelance writing and um, started, got into producing a, a local outdoor TV show. And, and with that came, you know, social media promotion and and that kind of stuff. So I, I kind of started developing this this background or the, the, the skills and and communications and uh yeah the the opportunity it's kind of funny i i had a chance previously to a position came open at the uh, what was the qdma at the time and i talked with Lindsay and and was going to interview that was when i was still in kentucky and um i'd actually just got offered the job with the georgia dnr and so i told him well i was going to have to pass on uh, interviewing for the, the communications manager job. And um, I guess, I don't know, several years later, uh, he, Lindsay reached out again and uh, the position that came back open and uh, it was just the uh, right, right fit at the right time. So I've been, it's hard to believe I, I had to, before I came on here, I was, I had to kind of add it up. I was like, well, I guess, you know, this, I'm getting ready to, to have my seven year anniversary here at, at NDA. So it's uh, flown by. It is amazing how the time flies. I remember when I first met you and it hadn't been long since you'd been on the job. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. You're, you're a native Kentuckian, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then you ended up in Georgia. So you made it, you made a step closer. And then, so you were already there when the next opportunity at QDMA came around. So it almost seems like you were just sort of working your way there. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's how it kind of worked out. It was, uh, it's pretty neat. Yeah. And you still live in Georgia now, right? I do, yeah. Live uh, in I, I call it South Georgia. We're south of Atlanta, so we're we're South Georgia, I guess. Yep, that counts as South Georgia. <laughs> well, let's do this because I want to I want to take advantage of the opportunity. As I said, we want to we like to spotlight staff here at NDA when we can do it here on the show. But also in this case, I want to take advantage of your hunting background and your hunting prowess, which you write about, you video about, and we share a lot of that content on all of our channels. And I want to get into that with you a little bit here on the show. And so uh, let's just start off with just your hunting background. How did you get into hunting? And and we'll roll from there. Yeah, I'm, uh, again, I guess I took a non-traditional route to hunting. Um, I, I didn't have, no one in my family hunted uh, as a, as a youngster, um, they had, I had, you know, both my grandfathers had hunted, you know, in their younger years, uh, the one that was a, very into hunting and fishing in the outdoors had passed away when I was young. Um, and my other one, uh, other grandfather had just kind of given it up. And my dad had done a little when he was younger, but, uh, he, he was no longer hunting, but 
fortunately, you know, there was still, I, I got exposure early on to firearms and firearm safety, that kind of stuff. My, my dad was a, a police officer. So he, you know, he taught me at a young age, how to shoot and, and handle a firearm safely. So I had that, I had, you know, guns available in the home. So at about, um, I guess about 13 years old. And, and I look back on this now when I had my own kids and I was like, what were my parents thinking? But, you know, 13 years old, I started packing the old 20 gauge shotgun into the woods there behind our neighborhood and, and hunting squirrels. And, uh, that soon turned into, they bought me a bow for Christmas one year and, uh, started bow hunting deer and just kind of took off from there. I, I wasn't very good at it. I, you know, I was, I was having to learn by trial and error and uh, more error than anything, but, uh, man, I just, I fell in love with, it. I always had a passion for just being outdoors and, and wildlife and nature and, and all that. I mean, just from a, a young age, but, uh, I, I took to hunting and to, at the surprise to my parents, really, I think my mom thought I was going to be a veterinarian or something because I was the kid dragging <laughs> home all the stray animals and stuff. But, uh, yeah, it just, just went from there. And I've, I've been, uh, that's kind of been my passion ever since. Go ahead. I All was right, going to well, ask. I'm going to have to. Sorry to interrupt oh, you, Mike, but he said something there that made me laugh. Made it makes him perfect for the show. He's like, I wasn't very good at it, <laughs> and, I, and I was going to say, well, are you still? Because I go through these moments like for a second, I think I'm good at it, and then I remember I'm reminded very quickly that I'm not. So that just caught my oh. attention. Oh yeah, yeah. I shouldn't have. Yeah, that wasn't necessarily past tense. <laughs> I still don't claim to be. Don't claim to be very good at it. Uh, I, I have my moments where uh, you know I, I have some luck and and do okay. But yeah, anytime I get to thinking I've figured something out, the the deer or turkeys or whatever, they they remind me real quick that uh, I, I still don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> well, I'm gonna have to jump in here, else I'm not gonna be able to concentrate the rest of the the recording of this <laughs> podcast. But Again, I don't, I don't know whether it's my attention span that's the same as a three-month-old puppy, but I'm looking at Brian's background here, and it's kind of like that Sesame Street thing. One of these things is not like the other. I see a couple mounts. I see a satellite map, and then there's an acoustic guitar sitting in the background. So, Brian, just to answer my morbid curiosity, please talk about that, or I'm going to be shot the rest of this podcast. Yeah, well, my guitar skills aren't much better than my hunting skills really uh, probably less so it's just something i don't even know where I, that was another thing i guess as a teenager i you know wanted to be cool picked up a guitar and uh tried to learn it you know on my own and and it's kind of been over the years just you know it'll sit sit there for four or five years and won't get touched and then i'll go through a <laughs> stage where i'll pick it up and you know play for months so uh, I, I still pick it up and play around with it every once in a while but i'm not a uh I don't claim to be a guitar player or a musician. All right. So now my, my curiosity has been satisfied. <laughs> <you> <laughs> if I, if I'd have known all this, we could have had him, you know, play a song. We ought to commission him to put together the intro for the, for the coffee and deer podcast. <laughs> there you there go. You go. Uh, yeah. That, that might not go well. I don't know. Hey, one of the things that um, you have written or talked about often is public land hunting which you have an affinity for you've done well at it just sort of take us through that yeah um and i've i, I guess I, I developed a, a passion for public land hunting initially out of necessity i was i guess that was started when i in my college years you know i just didn't didn't have a place to hunt was in a new area 
and luckily I was right there by, you know, 150,000 plus acres of, uh, land between the lakes. So I started public land hunting and, um, man, I just, it, it just kind of fell in with, I, I talked about my passion for the outdoors and stuff at an early age. One, you know, before I ever started hunting, I just loved getting out in the woods and exploring. And I think that's what public land hunting kind of does for me. Um, you know, you're not limited to that 15 acres or, or 50 acres or even two or 300 acres. You know, if, if nothing's happening here, I can go, you know, two miles down the road and, and check out a completely different spot or, or I can drive, you know, 30 minutes to a, a different area and, and be in completely different habitat. And I, I just love the, the opportunity, you know, that public land hunting provides just, you know, it's always wanting to see what's over the next hill or, or you know, what's, what's down this Creek or, uh, just lots of opportunities there to get out and explore and, and have different opportunities. And of course, you know, there's a challenge that comes along with that as well. I, I guess, you know, you, I, I always feel a little, little, uh, more prideful, I guess, you know, killing a, a decent buck from public land than I might, you know, killing one out here behind my house. Um, be, I'll be excited either way, but you know, there's something special about that, you know, when you're kind of competing, so to speak with all these other hunters on a, on a track of public land. So that's, it's just always ever, ever since then, that's always kind of been, been a passion. Uh, even when I had access to private land, you know, I'd still find myself heading out to, to public land at times as well. And it's kind of the same thing now, you know, I have finally, finally have a little property of my own here that I can hunt on, but you know, I'm still spending most of my time on, on public land. And this is just kind of a spot to go to, you know, out of convenience or, you know, if I do get a good buck showing up on camera or something like that, but, uh, yeah, I just, I just love the, the freedom that, that public land provides. So Brian, what we've seen over the past couple of years is this swing. And I don't know what it was like down South, but up North public land was almost the, the plan B for most people because they felt it was overhunted, undermanaged, et cetera, and so on. What was the philosophy or the just the tone of individuals down south in regards to public land? It's much different now. I mean, groups like the hunting public have made it very popular, but was it was it ever like that where it was public land was almost like a, a secondhand citizen, if you will? Yeah, I, I think there's some of that. Um, there, there's definitely some of that, you know, the thought that I, I still see it so much and on social media and a lot of these forums and stuff. And it's mostly from guys that, that haven't tried it, or maybe they tried it one time and they had a bad experience. And so there's, you hear all these horror stories about how terrible public land is and how it's dangerous and, you know, people shooting everywhere and there's hunters orange in every tree, you know, but, uh, you know, I just, I haven't experienced that. Um, certainly you hunt public land long enough, you're going to experience, you know, bumping into another hunter or another hunter bumping into you or that kind of thing. But, you know, most of the guys out there are, are courteous and, and wanting to have a good time and, and have success just like you. And, you know, when you run into each other, you, you, you know, say, Hey, and, and go your separate ways. And it's, it's not an issue. Like, like it's often made out to be. So yeah, you hear a lot of that. But there, there's also another side 
that I see down here and there's the, the guys that do hunt public land and, and hunt it a good bit. There's almost a, um, kind of a brotherhood or a camaraderie there. Uh, there's a lot of guys that I've seen here in Georgia. I didn't necessarily notice this as much in Kentucky. Uh, maybe, maybe it happens there, but what I've really noticed down here is, is, you know, there's guys that hunt these WMAs that, or they'll travel around the state or, or at least they're part of the state and hunt these different, um, we, we have these short gun hunts here. That's uh, a lot of these WMAs. They're not open for the entire gun season, uh, but there'll be three day hunts here and there. And these guys will travel around like a circuit, you know, and hit these different gun hunts and they'll camp and have a good time. And, you know, just it basically kind of set up deer camp, you know, at these different locations, uh, weekend by weekend. And so it, it's a, it's really a, a pretty cool thing down here. Of course, the hunting culture, there's, there's a big hunting club culture down here. So, you know, you got a lot of guys that are, are paying to get on these hunting clubs where they're on private land. Uh, but, but you have this, this segment too, that, that is really dedicated to the, the public land aspect of it. So, but yeah, there's still guys out there. Certainly a lot of the guys in the hunting clubs, they, they view public land as, you know, well, if, if I didn't have any place else to go, I guess I'd have to go to public land. But, but, uh, those of us who, who hunt it a lot, you know, there's, uh, we, we enjoy it and, and realize that it's, it's not, it's not the nightmare that it's often made out to be. And, and I would agree. I, I love, I love hunting public ground. I've cut my teeth on it. And to this day, I still, it still calls me back because I enjoy, as you said, the challenge and really there are really good opportunities out there, especially yeah. for the person that's willing to work a little bit. So I'm a big fan of public land hunting. Yeah, that's absolutely. And, and honestly, I, I see very little pressure during, I'm, I'm primarily a bow hunter. I'll, I'll break out the rifle and hunt some of these rifle hunts, but I prefer to bow hunt and man, the, the bow hunting pressure, of course we have such a long gun season. So you got a lot of gun hunters down here, uh, but a bow season, man, I feel like I, I have a 7,400 acre. I think it is WMA just 15, 20 miles here from my house and rarely see anybody out there when I'm out there bow hunting. Um, especially if it, you know, happened to hit it on a weekday, you feel like you have the whole place to yourself. So, uh, now the gun hunts, yeah, some of those can get interesting, but even then you, you can get away from the crowds. So it's, it's, uh, it's, it can be a good experience. You started to head this direction and it's perfect. Cause it's where I wanted to go next. And that is just your techniques. You've shared with us that you're primarily a bow hunter, uh, which is much like the doctor and I as well. Although we will also do a little gun hunting <laughs> if when called upon, if need, if need be, but just your techniques in general. Okay. You're, you're, you have fixed position stand guide. Do you like saddle hunting? Do you hunt from the ground? Just give us an idea of your approach. Well, I just start, I've always been a, a climber, a tree stand, you know, climbing tree stand guy for, well, since I started hunting. Um, but this past year I, I gave saddle hunting a try for the first time, you know, I'm, uh, I'm not getting any younger and I, I do, I do like to, uh, get a little deeper in the woods to get away from the crowds when, when I need to. And, uh, you know, the older I get, the, the longer those hikes seem with that, that tree stand and all your gear and stuff on your bike. So the, uh, the idea of a saddle and less gear appealed to me, uh, honestly, I, I had my doubts just based on you know, the visual, seeing these things, I'm like, boy, like a lot of guys, I think that, that first see or introduce the saddle hunting, 
your first thoughts are, man, there's no way that's comfortable or that doesn't seem very safe. And, and of course, neither, neither are true. Um, I, I've, man, a year in, well, actually I'll say this, my, my first sit, I'd went out, I got my saddle well before season and I went out to local w, WMA here. I'd already been practicing some in the yard just to get used to kind of getting up the tree in this thing. And, but I wanted to do an observation set and actually get, you know, a few hours in this thing just to see if I was, if it was something I was going to enjoy. And, uh, man, I'll, I'll tell you about the first hour into it. I was like, yeah, I think I'm going to be breaking the climber back out. <laughs> I, I started to experience, you, you know, anybody who's saddle hunting or started saddle hunting probably knows that, you know, that first they say you got to get into saddle shape. And now I kind of know what they mean. Uh, you know, you just get, you got to learn how to position yourself to stay comfortable and, and kind of, you know, there's different ways you can sit or lean and different ways you can do it. But I, I just started getting some discomfort in my hips and stuff. And I thought, man, I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this. I'm an hour in, I'm already uncomfortable, but and once I learned and, and kind of, like I said, figured out what works for me as far as leaning and positioning myself, uh, I started to get comfortable and I ended up doing a little over three hours, I think in there. And by the time I was done, I was like, yeah, I can, I can do this. This is, this is all right. And so I, I ended up saddle hunting all year last year. Um, I think I broke out the climber once back here behind my house, but, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't see me going back now. I'm not going to sell my, my climber. I mean, there's certainly situations where that would work. I, I will say, I don't think the, I can't say the saddle is as comfortable as that, that summit climber. Um, you know, you don't fall asleep too much in the saddle. Uh, I'm not saying you can't, but uh, not like you can in that, that summit climber, but, uh, but I'll sacrifice a little bit of comfort for the, just the lightweight and mobility and stuff that the saddle gives me. So I'm, I'm enjoying it. Well, you may not be aware of this, but the doctor and I are elite saddle hunters. We, uh, on our very first day of saddle hunting <laughs> two years ago, we both shot deer. <laughs> so my very first sit in the morning, I, I shot one out of the saddle and then the doctor shot one that evening. And this would have been, I guess, Mike opening day a couple years ago yeah. in uh, archery season. But it's funny because, okay, you have that early success. You're like, oh, well, this is easy. Well, then what happens is the reality is you learn all the things you learned, were learning in your observation sit. And so, yeah, you learn about the positioning and what feels best on your hips and your back and, and probably the biggest challenge, how to get shots almost 360 degrees around the tree. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, we, we've taken to it as well. We've been doing it for a couple of years and, uh, uh, and the same way we, I still have a couple fixed position stands out there and I still have my climber, but I will tell you that I think it, not last season, but the season before I took my climber out just to see how it would feel again. And I was like, I was reminded how old I was. And so you know, we're sitting here, you know, the, the doctor and I, two bald guys, glasses here doing the show. And, you know, as you said, you're not getting younger G and so the saddle hunting we also found was even aside from just getting to where you want to go it was actually easier on our backs and i feel way yeah. better after sitting in a saddle than i do sitting in a fixed position stand have you experienced that as well yeah yeah absolutely i they're they're uh i would definitely say they're more comfortable than than a fixed position stand and uh like you said it's just you know, you can lean back away from the tree. I, I use, I don't know if you guys use the, the back band, but that, that certainly helps gives some support to your back. And, uh, yeah, it's a comfortable way to hunt. 
and uh heck I, i'm amazed i guess one of the things before i started saddle hunting i had interviewed uh warren womack out of uh louisiana which i don't know if you're familiar with warren but uh he's he's kind of a, a legend down in his parts a traditional bow hunter but he is uh somewhere i guess by now probably 78 years old mm -hmm. and he's still hunting out of, or he's still hunting out of a saddle he just started a few years ago but uh yeah it just goes to show you know you think oh i'm you know pushing 50 i'm too old to you know climb a tree in a saddle and, but no it's it's if you can climb a tree in a, a stand a deer stand you can you can climb a tree and, and hunt out of a saddle so let me ask you this your number one, I, I've, I've been asked this on podcasts, and I always have a quick, ready answer, and I'm curious to see if you do. What would be your number one hot tip if someone says, you know what, I just, I need, I, I need to figure out how to get closer to older deer, mature bucks. What's the first thing that comes to mind? Oh, probably the first thing that came, comes to mind, and, and the thing that I did wrong for years was, uh, man, get out of the pretty woods, what I call the pretty woods, you know, uh, we all are a lot of us, what I did for years, I, I love to hunt, you know, I'd find that big, pretty oak forest, you know, dropping acorns. I know that there's deer droppings in here. They're feeding in here. I can see for, you know, a hundred yards in every direction, which, uh, you know, sounds great. I guess, you know, if you're wanting to shoot one long range with a rifle or something, that's, that's good. But, uh, man, that is not where, mature deer show their face during daylight hours uh most of the time you know there's always exceptions to the rule but uh until i i really started i guess i mean i'll give the credit to the the hunting public guys and and dan in fault and and some of those that kind of you know have have uh taught this this route of of hunting closer to bedding areas or in bedding areas and and getting in that thick cover and and when i started kind of doing more of that uh is when i see my success go up greatly on on public land is uh you know you got you got to be where other hunters aren't and that's typically going to be those you know thick nasty areas that are hard to get into and not comfortable to to get into um that that's where those deer are going to be is particularly when the pressure's on so that's that's my thing get out of those pretty woods and, and get into that that thick cover and uh hunt you know as close to those bedding areas as you can get without without blowing deer out speaking of habitat and thick areas one of the things that you've gotten yourself involved with here when you were buying your property you might not have thought that this is where it was going to head but you bought yourself a nice property there uh, i've actually been there had a chance to be at your house. i forget where we were at. Right. we were dropping you off first I don't know how it happened, but I was in your driveway <laughs> and you have some acreage there that you're doing some work on and you've started a series here at the NDA called the, the Fixer Upper. Why don't you talk us through that? Because I think a lot of people can relate to this, right? Not everybody has their own, you know, I, I spoke to someone just yesterday, 400 acres in Iowa. Okay. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's nice. not realistic. <laughs> For most people, unless you marry into it or, uh, you know, inherit it or whatever. But but your situation is very, uh, I think, relatable to a lot of people. And so why don't you talk us through how the Fixer Upper got started and where it stands right now? Yeah, yeah. Well, man, I, I had always dreamed of, of owning some land. And yeah, 
the, the dream is usually 400 acres in Iowa, but uh, again, like you said, <laughs> I knew that wasn't a, wasn't realistic, but you know, I guess with my background and, and having managed these public lands for years, you know, I always wanted my own place to be able to, to put some of that stuff to practice. You know, you learn all this stuff about how to manage, manage land for wildlife and deer. And, uh, you can't help, but want to be able to do that on, on your own piece of ground. And, uh, well, I, I tell you, I'd honestly just about given up hope on, on that ever happening beyond my little two acres that I had, uh, close to here, but it just, uh, through a, uh, crazy story. That's a whole nother <laughs> podcast episode. We ended up having the opportunity to, to buy this, this house in 15 acres where I'm at. And, uh, was, was able to, to do that and, and made that dream come true. And, yeah, it's just, I mean, some people, yeah, I would say, well, 15 acres, you know, no big deal. And, but it's, it's enough to hunt on, which was, was my goal and, uh, enough to do some, some management stuff. And it's just, uh, man, it's been awesome. I, I love it every day. Um, but, but yeah, I started doing this, this 15 acre fixer upper series for work. We figured, you know, I have this property and I'm trying to improve it for deer. We might as well kind of showcase that and, and highlight you know, what I'm doing and what worked and what did and that kind of stuff. And so, yeah, it's been a, a fun little project the, the first thing I learned is just because I could manage, you know, 10,000 acres when I worked for the DNR, um, I wasn't going to be able to come in and, and knock out everything I wanted to do on 15 acres in, you know, a month's time. <laughs> like I yeah. had this envisioned in my head. It's, uh, you know, when you're not doing it eight hours a day with, you know, virtually unlimited equipment and manpower, uh, it, it takes a little time. So that's, that's kind of the first thing I've learned is it's going to be a process. You know, it's not going to be something that I just knock out the first year and can kick back and enjoy it the rest of the time. But, but that's the fun part too. You know, that's, it's all in the process, but so, yeah, I've been, been working on, um, the, the back half of it is all mostly mature hardwoods with it's the pretty woods that I talked about, you know, virtually no understory. Uh, wide open a lot of nice oaks and stuff in there so you know it's it drops acorns during the the right time of year and the deer certainly feed through there but there's no cover for them or nothing there for them any other time of year and so that's been one of my priorities has been thinning that timber back and trying to get some some sunlight on the ground and some understory growth and and that's that's taken shape i've done a lot of a lot of the smaller trees you know just cut down and the bigger trees, I've been using the uh, the girdle and squirt, you know, chainsaw with herbicide method to to kill those back, and um, starting to see some some progress there. Some of the areas uh, that where I've killed trees have are getting a good flush of understory growth, and the deer are hitting the what's coming back up, and there's some cover there for them. So it's uh, I think it's gonna gonna pay off, or it's definitely gonna pay off in, in time. And then uh, the front half of the property was it was pasture land they had cows on it you know like 10 years ago and they pulled the cows off and now it's you know like 10 to 12 foot pine thicket uh, which which the deer were already using but uh, i've been been getting in there and, and created an opening in the middle of that for a food plot which did uh, fare this first year still got a lot of work to be done there i'm, I'm trying to expand it make it a little bigger it was just probably a, a half acre if that this first year um, but you know, it's a lot of work clearing those pines. I don't, unfortunately I don't have a, a skid steer with the big mulching <laughs> head 
head on it where I can just go in there and, you know, plow them down in a day. I'm, I'm going in there and cutting these trees by hand. And then, you know, you got the stumps left to contend with. So it's, uh, it's a process, a slow process, but, but I'm getting there, but yeah, the goal is just to kind of thin those pines back, even, <clears throat> even outside of the food plot itself, thin them out, you know, kill out the fescue, which is what's growing underneath all these pines and, and get some, uh, you know, native habitat, some early successional habitat coming up in there on the outskirts of this food plot. Again, just to provide, you know, forage and good cover. That's what it's all about. So that's, uh, that's all in the works. It's, it's coming along, but it's definitely a, a little slower process than, uh, I'd anticipated, but I'm, I'm enjoying every minute of it. Well, Brian, we, you're talking about time and how sometimes the best laid plans don't go as you would hope because it's taking a little bit longer to get some things accomplished. So let's bookend you here. So up to this point, just talk to everyone about one thing that you're the most proud of that you've accomplished on that 15 acres and one mistake that you wish you could have had back. Hmm. Well, I guess as far as the, the proudest accomplishment, well, killing a couple of deer off of it. That, that, uh, <laughs> I was, I was hoping you would that. go there. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. You shot two bucks already. Yeah. Yeah. So that I mean, I was setting I, them up. That was an underhanded softball toss. I mean, I saw like, <laughs> like these pictures, like two well, bucks I, the I same year. Thinking, so talk well, about that. I, yeah. I was sitting here thinking, well, do I go with the uh, four stand improvement or yeah, but, but certainly the, the killing the two bucks off of it the first season, uh, was certainly, um, that, that been the highlight so far for sure. Um, I guess there's, well, I don't want to say regret, but the, the first one ended up being a, a two and a half year old buck that I kind of wish <laughs> I'd let walk, uh, in hindsight, but it was my first deer off the property and I was excited. I've been watching this deer all summer long. Thought he was, you know, three and a half, at least three and a half, but, uh, but yeah, it was kind of, kind of crazy. This deer was coming in like clockwork there on the back part of the property where I'd, I'd already done a little bit of a four stand improvement work, opened up some area back in there. And, uh, he was showing up on the regular in the, in the evenings. And every time I'd go back in there, you know, get up in my saddle to hunt, he'd no show. And then, you know, when I wasn't there, he was there. So I got to thinking in my head, this, this deer is bound to be bedding just like right on right over the property line there. And he's, he's seeing me, he's gotta be seeing me coming in. Even though I was walking in, I was kind of taking a roundabout way to get back in there, but I thought it, I mean, he must be seeing me climb, climb these trees. And so finally, after like three or four times of this cat and mouse, I, I decided I'm just going to go in there and, and sit on the ground. I'll slip in there and stay on the ground. And that way, you know, if he is seeing me climb the tree, I'll, I'll eliminate that, that part of it. And, uh, yeah, sure enough, uh, like clockwork, he came in, you know, about 15 minutes or so before sunset and, uh, provided me with a, a nice 20 yard broadside shot and didn't run, you know, 50, 60 yards and, and piled up. And I was able to, to take my first, first buck, first deer off the, off the property. So that was, that was pretty special. Um, and, and pretty cool to, to kill it off the ground, even though I'd like to kill it out of the saddle, you know, here I'm trying to saddle hunting and, and really wanting to kill one out of it. But, uh, I, I was glad it worked out the way it did. And, uh, yeah, the second buck was just a, 
a, a fluke, really. It's one again. It's one I'd seen all summer long, but uh, he hadn't been showing up regularly since uh, deer season came in. He just kind of a random random visitor a lot of times at night coming through there. But it was uh, it was the rut, and I was working one day and and thought, man, I want to. It had been a few days since I'd been in the stand. I thought, you know, it was already kind of later in the afternoon. And I thought, well, I'll just. I'll knock off and, and just walk back here in the woods and sit in my, I had a uh, two man ladder stands that I set up back there. If the, the kids ever want to hunt back there, or if I want to let somebody else hunt back there, you know, I can just point them to that two man stand. I thought well, I'll just walk back here in the woods and, and set the last, you know, hour and a half or so of daylight in that ladder stand. And this was during rifle season. And, uh, I hadn't been in the, the stand. I don't know, very long, probably 30 minutes or so. And, uh, here he came cruising, uh, this bench kind of down below me, just cruising across the property, came off my neighbor's property and nose to the ground, you know, cruising, cruising that trail. And, uh, I, at first I didn't realize which bucket was, it was, uh, I, I was just kind of sitting there videoing him with my phone and, and thinking, this is pretty cool. And I thought, well, I guess I should you know, at least take a look and see which one this might be. And I, or I raised my scope up on my rifle and, and looked at him and thought, well, dang, that was because this was one I knew was an older deer. And I thought if I got the shot at that one, you know, even early before season ever started, that was one I thought if I can get a shot at him, I'm going to, I'm going to take him. And then during that, before that happened, I started getting some pictures where he had a big nasty knot on his leg too. And I thought well, that's even more so reason to, to, uh, get a shot at this one. So when I realized it was, it was that buck, this older buck, uh, I went ahead and, and shot and, uh, he didn't, he didn't go far. Actually, luckily he ran down towards the Creek toward my, my house and died right there where I only, all I had to do was drag him across the Creek to get him into the, the UTV and haul him up to the house. So, uh, yeah, that, that was definitely the, uh, the, the high point of the season there. Got to love those courteous deer that help you out and yeah. run, run the direction. It's easier to get them out of. Yeah. They, they never do that on public land. I can promise you. <laughs> no, 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 of course uh, not. But man, as far as regrets, I don't, I don't know. I mean, well, I guess regret, but something you'd like to have back, something you'd like to be able to do that again. What would I want to be able to do again? Maybe he hasn't had it long enough yet, Mike. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, some true. missed, some missed opportunities. I, I wish I'd got a little more aggressive on my, my four stand improvement work earlier on. And then I missed my opportunity to, uh, to burn this past year. And that's, that's high priority that I got, man, leaf litter, just the, the entire thing is deep in, in hardwood leaf litter from years of, of piling up. And that's something high on my priority list, but I just, I just wasn't able to make it happen this past year. My, I had a little land bridge where I could get my UTV over there and that way I could, you know, carry my little sprayer with water and everything. And, uh, it's washed my, my, uh, it was already the uh, culvert that goes under that land bridge. It was already completely packed up when I bought the property, but, uh, through some, through some torrential rains, it is now washed to where, to the point where I don't feel safe driving a UTV over it. So, I gotta gotta get that corrected, and uh, I gotta get a burn in this this coming year. That's that's high priority. I'll accept that. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess the other regret was was you know shooting that two and a half year old buck that probably would have been a really nice three and a half four and a half year old, but uh, I, I'm not gonna lose too much sleep over that one. Like I said, it was my my first deer off the property, so. No, you should. Yeah, certainly something special about that. 
All right, I'm going to switch gears on you here a little bit. As we said at the outset of the show, you are now in the guest chair of the podcast. And so I'm going to turn it around and ask you to tell us about the other NDA podcast, which is Deer Season 365. To remind folks who have been listening for a while, we launched both of these podcasts in the same month. It's been over a year now. So we've had Coffee and Deer Deer Season 365 over that time. Tell us a little bit about the show. I know we have a few listeners that, that didn't know about Deer Season 365, and I'm sure you have listeners that don't know about Coffee and Deer. And so here's your chance to tell our listeners <laughs> that are missing Deer Season 365, what's it all about? Yeah, well, as I guess the, the name kind of implies there, you know, Deer Season never ends. We're always out there working on, on some aspect of it. And so... Yeah, the Deer Season 365 podcast is a lot of um, hunting strategy, land management strategy, um, some research type stuff. We've we've had some great guests on in the uh, the arena of deer research and and movement and that kind of stuff. So it's it's just all things you know, deer hunting, deer management, deer research, that kind of stuff uh, that we really dive into. We've we've covered. You know, everything we just, we just covered, uh, hemorrhagic disease, EHD, uh, in the latest episode. But, you know, before that it was, it was a GPS collar, you know, deer research and, and movement studies and what they've learned from that. And hopefully if, uh, if everything works out, I'm supposed to be interviewing, uh, Zach Farnball of the hunting public this afternoon for a, for a future episode. So that, that one will be more, you know, scouting and hunting strategy and, and that kind of stuff. By the way, um, when you get so, him on, tell, tell him I'm a fan. I always, I love his excitement. <laughs> that guy gets so oh, excited, yeah. like over the, you know, the smallest things, which there are no real small things out there. Right. But I just love his enthusiasm and, uh, you know, he's got great hair, obviously, too, so. <laughs> yeah, which, which absolutely. I'm, I'm jealous of. So make sure you let him know that. But uh, anyway, sorry to interrupt you there, but go ahead. No, no, that, that's yeah. But it, like I said, it's just um, all, all things, all things dear all things deer and deer hunting. So we, uh, yeah. And I, I'm having a blast with it. Like you said, it's, uh, we just celebrated a, a year in, um, here a few weeks ago and which again, it's, it's hard to believe it's, it's flown by, uh, the episodes fly by and, uh, but it's fun, you know, it's just, uh, just an excuse to get to talk to some, some interesting folks. So it's, uh, you know, get great, great part of the job. Just another aspect of, of, my job where I get to, uh, you know, learn more about deer and talk more about deer. So. Well, we're going to get to that here a little bit here in a second, uh, your, your job, but, uh, yeah, I hear you. I mean, the doctor and I, we don't know anything about anything. So we bring on people that can teach us. <laughs> so, that's right. <laughs> yeah. That's what it's really all about. And, uh, I just, actually, it's just this morning on my morning run, I was listening to your latest episode and it takes a lot of guts to have a discussion about EHD because nobody wants to know about that stuff. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We just wish it didn't exist. But anyway, it was it was another good show. And so, um, but a day in the life, a day in your life at the NDA. I mean, just you're getting into that. It's it's. I always tell people, you know, they say, "Oh, it must be you know nice doing what you do." And I always the first thing I remind them of, well, you know what? It's still work. We still oh, yeah. work very hard. And so I'm sure you have those conversations too. So take us through a life, uh, a day in the life of Brian Grossman, who we affectionately refer to as G here at the NBA. <laughs> oh man. Well, that it depends on which day really. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's uh, yeah, it's never, never the same thing every day, which is, which is a good thing in my book. Um, 
but yeah, it's, uh, so every day there's, uh, there's social media, you know, we're, we're always posting things on, on social media. So that's, that's always a top priority day in and day out to make sure, you know, we're, we're providing our, our members and our followers with, with great information and content and, and entertainment, you know, we provide some, some entertainment along the way as well. Um, you know, some days it's, it's working on our, our e-newsletter, uh, other days it's, you know, conducting podcast interviews or, or editing a podcast, putting that together. Um, you know, every quarter the magazine rolls around. So there's, there's always a, a few intense weeks there kind of getting that the articles in and edited and laid out and, and getting that magazine all put together so it can go to print. Um, yeah, just a little bit. I mean, press releases and, uh, um, website content, as you mentioned, <clears throat> we're working on a, uh, a new website. So that has taken a considerable amount of time here lately. Um, but, but we're always, you know, the website's always being updated, even the, the existing website, you know, we're putting content on there every single week, multiple pieces of content in, in a lot of cases. Um, so, you know, at times it's sitting down and, and writing that piece of content. Other times it may be, you know, just editing somebody else's content and, and getting it on the website, finding photos to, to go with that. And, um, yeah, it's, it certainly keeps me busy. It is work. Like you said, it's not like we just, uh, get to get to go hunting all the time and, and a check magically comes in the mail from all that, but, <laughs> but it still beats. I always, I jokingly say it, it still beats a real job, you know, and it is a real job, but, uh, it's, it's one just like when I was working for the DNR, you know, there's days I have to step back and, and just kind of laugh and think, man, I'm, I'm getting paid to, to write about deer, to read about deer, to make videos about deer. I mean, that's, uh, that's hard to beat. I, I don't, I try not to take that for granted because, uh, it's, it's, it's a good thing, but, but it is work. Yeah, it definitely is. And I think one of the things we're prideful of here at NDA is, we just, we as a team, we're, we're not a huge team. We're 19, no. 20, 20 people. And we have choices, right? We could become this big giant organization, or we could be very streamlined and work a little bit extra hard as a team and to do accomplish our work that way as a smaller team. And that's what we do. And because of that, as you heard Brian talk about there, his job and everyone's job here can be very diverse and the things they're working on. Like today or this week, I've spent most of my time working on real estate deals. <laughs> so, uh, which, you know, it's in one way or another has something to do with deer, but it also involves conservation and other things. And so you just never know uh, what it is you're going to be getting into. And so Brian is one of those people that wears many hats and wears them well. And, and I think because you're a big time hunter yourself, Brian, you have a real knack for coming up with these funny memes that get real popular that you put out there. So, uh, where do you get your inspiration from that? Oh man, uh, a lot of times, of course, you know, having to spend as much time on on social media as I do, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of times they're just sparked by other memes. You know, memes outside of of the hunting industry. Maybe you know, I'll, I'll see something um, associated with something completely different and think, you know, okay, I, I can turn that into something, you know, hunting related. There's a hunting related inside uh, joke there, or, you know, something that, that people can laugh at. Um, other times it might just be, you know, something that's, that's happened to me or, or an attitude I see, you know, on social media, just like the, 
the uh, public land thing we we're talking about and, and the, the views that some people have of public land and how it's dangerous or crowded and all that, you know, there's, there's always inspirations uh, for memes and, and that kind of stuff. Um, and sometimes it's just looking at, you know, again, looking at some of the, the popular memes or the images people are using for memes and thinking, okay, how is this related? To hunting how can i how can i plug something hunting related into this and and get a get a good laugh out of it so you know i, I enjoy that part of it and and obviously you know the social media followers do as well if you look sometimes i wish it wasn't this way but if, if you look at our our memes and or look at our social media feeds and instagram and facebook um those memes you know we can post a, an informational fact about EHD or CWD or, or anything. And, you know, it's crickets. And then you post a funny meme and, you know, it's being shared hundreds, if not thousands of times and getting all this, uh, engagement. And you're like, man, where, where were all you when we posted about, <laughs> about this, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, there, there's a little, a little frustration there, but, uh, I do enjoy, you know, putting those out and, and just, you know, keeping things light because you can't, can't take all this this too serious. I mean, it's, it's hunting. We're supposed to be enjoying ourselves and that's the whole reason we, we do this. So try to try to break some of the, the serious up here and there. Yeah. Well, you do a great job of it. And speaking of your time and your workload, we don't want to keep you here forever. Uh, even though we'd love to continue the conversation. So G we talked about deer season 365. Uh, obviously people can follow our stuff at NDA. Everything's just deer association. You can find it, but where can they find you? Where's your Instagram page? It's just, uh, at Brian and that's B R I N not, not, not the Y it's B R I N L Grossman. And so that, that's where uh, same thing for Facebook. Um, just, yeah, at Brian L Grossman and uh, I'm active there. I'm, I'm on Twitter, but you, you won't, you won't see too many, too many tweets from me. There's only, there's only so many, so many hours in the day to spend on social media, uh, outside of what I'm doing for work. So yeah, I pretty much stay to, to Instagram more than, more than anything. So, yeah. If you want to see something on Twitter from us, follow Lindsay. He's, he's much more. Yeah, that's between. right. He's our biggest tweeter of the team, <laughs> but, uh, Hey, thanks again, G appreciate you being on the show and, uh, Hey, good luck out there this fall. Yep. Yep. Same to you guys. And, uh, yeah, appreciate you having me on. I, I enjoyed it. G is just another great NDA teammate here. As you heard us talk about in the interview, we're not big. And I'm proud of that fact. I, I'm proud of how efficient and how much we can accomplish with the size of the team we have. And the reason, the only way you can do that is if you have a team of really focused and dedicated people that are willing to wear a lot of hats sometimes and do a lot of things. And G is the latest example of that. You've heard from other NDA team members here as well, uh, but certainly G and his work is very much appreciated. And a lot of what you see out there from us, especially on our social media, originates with him. He's got his fingers on it. So, and also cool, Mike, just to hear his passion and, and being an avid hunter, he gave us some really good tips there. He did. He did. He's a knowledgeable individual. And I think he fills that role, roles, plural, very, very well. And as you said, it seems that even though the organization has the presence or the appearance of being very big looking um, from the outside in, in actuality, a, a very few people that do their jobs very, very well 
have a lot of different hats that they have to wear to make it look so seamless and so big and actually have such a presence in the industry. Yeah. And I even appreciate hearing that because there are some, you know, groups out there, any, any nonprofit industry where they think big is, is what you want to be. And I'm kind of the opposite of that. I think efficient is what you want to be. And I think we're very efficient and we use the dollars from our supporters very wisely. And so, uh, you know, hopefully, hopefully people see that. All right. This isn't the B team report yet, Mike, but there were some B team moments. You and I went ahead and went out and finished putting up my redneck ghillie blind uh, this weekend. So uh, overall impression of our performance from you. Well, I will have to say very proudly, it was it was only an A minus or it was an A minus. We only had to we didn't dabble in that B team realm very much. We only had to take apart and put back together a couple of pieces. (laughs) Which which that's winning for us, right? That's pretty good. It is winning for us. Not to mention we were working on a eight foot high platform that we very easily could have fallen off of and we managed to stay on there too. So that all that's all good so far. Yeah, we didn't no one fell. We didn't drop any pieces or parts, didn't lose anything. We had we had spare parts, but I think that was by design. It wasn't like we didn't put it together correctly. We did okay. Well, we're gonna find out when someone's sitting in there and they get blown down the hill because we were missing parts, but we had extra parts and no, we got it done. And the purpose of that blind, if you've heard me for any length of time on this show, you know that I'm primarily, as is the doctor and archery hunter, but I'm not uh, afraid to gun hunt. I certainly still enjoy doing that too, but I was thinking for this blind, it's in a good observation point. It's going to be a comfortable sit. You can see down over the hill to my central food plot uh, it's about 180 yards to the center of that thing, or maybe 250 to the other side of it. So it's pretty far. Uh, actually, maybe I'm, maybe I'm messing that up. Maybe it's about uh, 150 to the middle of it. Anyway, it's a reasonably, you know, you have to make a decent shot if your shot's down there. And then the other food plot is right out in front of it, which would be a much easier shot. But the biggest thing is it's a nice place to observe. You can see a long way. And I was thinking it'd be a good place to take a new hunter or somebody wanting to be around. Uh, getting around wildlife to view wildlife. And also as my son gets older, it'd be a comfortable place for him. So anyway, it's going to, it's going to serve a lot of purposes there. Well, in, in pictures of that, if everyone would like to see, Oh, did you put it up as a story or did you put it up as a post? I think it was a story. I probably put it up as a story. Um, yeah. I was going to say you could see the the process of that and at least get a sense of what you're talking about. But I'm sure over the the course of your hunting season, I'm sure there'll be a picture that shows up from that location, but it's a very unique location where that blind sits. It's just, it's an intuitive elevated blind location. No doubt about it. Yeah. I'm looking forward to sitting in there for the first time, by the way, if you're not familiar with these soft sided heavy duty blinds that redneck makes, so again, I'm not a person that I don't like to spend tons of money if I don't have to. And and I, everyone would love to have those nice fiberglass blinds that you see out there, but those things are, they can be several thousand dollars and, and great. If you have one, I just personally am a little too cheap to, to pay for that. And so a good option are these soft-sided blinds, which are, as, as you know, doctor from helping put it together, very sturdy frame went together in a very nice way. The fabric and the blind itself is watertight. Uh, it looks good. It's comfortable in there. 
and I had about, uh, so that people have an idea, I had about $300 in lumber because I did everything pressure treated uh, with lumber. And then it's, it's less than $1,000 for the soft-sided blind. So for around $1,000 around $1, or even a little less, you can have yourself a top-notch hunting location like this, which I understand that's still a lot of money, but it would have been closer to $3,500 had I gone the fiberglass route. All right. B team report. Okay. Now this one, this is my report. I'm not sure if you have, have one of your own, but let me, let me give mine. So this is again, talking about this blind that I set up and this, this was a three stage process. Okay. I bought the lumber, drove it out there and built the platform, just the, the base of the platform. And then I went out a second time. My dad went out and helped me and I finished up the rest of the lumber work with the bracing and the steps and everything. But I needed to, one of the, the challenges is you got to pull this thing upright. And the whole plan was I have my side-by-side, -side, my Polaris Ranger, that was going to be what I used to set this thing upright because it's tight quarters out there. Well, I make the trip out there to this property. I don't have my keys for my side-by-side -side, or to the building for that matter. <laughs> so, <laughs> but here's the good news, Mike. I have a spare set of keys that, you know, we all do this. We have a hiding spot for times when the BT monster rears its ugly head. <laughs> and so I tell my dad, I was like, well, no problem. I got a backup set of keys and I go strolling to that location, get my keys, open up the, the uh, shed and oh, wait a minute. I have backup keys, but I don't have a backup set of keys for the wheel lock that is on my side by side. <laughs> I knew you were going there. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, all I could do was sit there and look at it sitting there. And then I realized, you know what? I really need a backup key for the wheel lock because it's useless to you if you can't move it. So there you go. Luckily, we were able to just use my pickup truck and I was able to get it stood up with that. Uh, it, but it wasn't the ideal situation, but that was a classic, classic BT moment for me. Well, just to add a little bit of icing on the cake here, just to explain to everybody how how long of a drive it is from your house to your hunting property, just so that they understand, like, well, you know, why don't you just run back and get it? Yeah. So if it's if it's me getting there to hurry up and get out in a deer stand, it's a little over thirty minutes. If if it's me driving the speed limit with not in any particular hurry to get there, it's between thirty five and forty minutes. And it's so it's certainly not all. I'll just run back to the house and get it. Uh, it's it's a bit of a haul. So anyway, it's not the first time I've gotten out there and realized I didn't have something I needed. And so I have failed to continue to learn that lesson. <laughs> Tell me you had something worse than that. I you know what? I have to leave that one lay right where it is, because that oh. that's a good one. I don't have anything that even rivals that. So let's let you have the the captain's jersey or or the little c on your t-shirt today for that all right well the good thing is knowing you i'm confident that you'll have one soon so it's just a matter of well, time i'm going to camp this weekend so i can almost guarantee that there you go speaking of camp early trail camera report i've had cameras out since the weekend of the fourth uh i'm i'm feeling good so far mike i've got three older bucks on camera one or two that i recognized immediately from last year one of them is a nice very symmetrical 10 point 
that looks really good. If he continues to grow, that's going to be a really nice deer. So that's fun and exciting. And bears. Yeah, I got a decent bear on there a couple weeks ago, but goodness, did I get a giant here just this past week. I, I, when you sent me that, it was just a jaw-dropping picture. It, this, I have not seen a bear that large. And that's the reason I asked you is, you know, do you think it would rank somewhere in the top 10 for the Pennsylvania state rankings? Because just the massive size of this thing, and here's the, the kicker, in its summer coat, we know that the winter coat is going to be that much more longer and more dense to make it look even bigger than it was. It was in its stream slick down summer coat. And I haven't seen a bear that big since I was down at the game, like the Pennsylvania game commission headquarters. So I'm telling you that thing is a monster. Well, the unfortunate thing is I got to think about that sucker every time I'm walking through the woods in the dark to get to a tree stand. <laughs> knowing that that monster's out there. For people who don't know, maybe you're listening to us from Louisiana and you don't understand the bear situation. Pennsylvania has the biggest black bears in North America. And, and North Carolina also has this, an area where they have some very big black bears. But Pennsylvania, I'm telling you, we have black bears here that can be the size of brown bears. And so we're not grizzly country, but at the same time, we got some big bears here. And this is one of them. And I hesitate to estimate, but he's a big one. He's got a big old head on him. You know, when the ears are on the side of the head, you know that that's a, that's a giant. And uh, we'll see. We have an overlapping bear and archery season. And then we've got a bear season later in the year. No baiting. That's part of the reason they get big here, I think, because uh, they get old. But I would love to run into this guy. I like the bear hunt. I've taken a couple bears with my bow. But, man, to even get a chance at something like that, that would be, that would be something. Mike, trail cameras for you. I know you're doing some buying. You're getting situated. What's the situation on your end? Well, I am excited. I I finally have pulled the trigger and bought my first cell camera. The after talking to Pollinier from um, Cuddyback, I just had to pull the trigger. We had an ask NDA question, or ask NDA anything question last week about uh, a, a listener that wanted to um, decide how he wanted to power his systems. Um, so basically what I am going to do, I'm not a big fan of putting my trail cameras out this early. I usually put them out the first of September and then let them run the entire season. But I think that I am going to get the Cuddy Link system out just to try and see how it works and try and avoid a B team story here, literally. So that when it comes time to be using them effectively, I want to have that confidence. So I'm going to, uh, this weekend deploy them as a trial run just to be safe. I, I mean, you know, me, I, I prepare to the nth degree and I, I think I would be doing myself a disservice if I just treated them like, okay, I completely understand how the system is going to work with the cellular component to it and just throw caution to the wind. And I could lose a lot of data that way. So, um, that's what my plan is. And, because I've kind of got bit by that cell cam bug, I'm gonna I'm picking up a couple more and gonna you know really really blanket my place this year and try and learn every nook and cranny and every corner to be able to hunt it much more effectively moving forward. Well, it definitely sounds like a solid plan, and this could go in the B team report too. Here's one of the problems, and and then we'll get you out of here, folks, in just a minute. But I got to share this. 
lithium batteries to me are definitely the way to go when you can do it. But I'll tell you, one of the downsides to lithiums is they're not like alkaline where they slowly will tell you whenever they're declining. So your cameras have the little battery meters, right? What happens with lithiums is when they're done, they're just kind of done. Like one day they're working great and then the next day they're just dead. They don't work anymore. And so when I put my one camera out, I had several cameras from last year that still had working batteries in them and being the cheapskate I am, I didn't just clean them all out and put new batteries in. I want to get every last ounce of juice out of those batteries. Well, one of the cameras that I just put out, one of my Moultrie mobiles, and it's one of my best locations, it said, oh yeah, you have a low battery. And then boom, the next day it was zero battery. <laughs> and so there you have it. I'm already having to go out and replace batteries uh, in cameras that I just had in my hands literally two weeks ago and was too cheap to do it. So anyway, that's just a little pointer on lithium batteries if you're someone that uses those. All right, folks, thank you again so much for listening. Hope you enjoyed the show today. Please tell your friends, tell them about the Coffee and Deer Show, tell them about Deer Season 365, and certainly tell them about the National Deer Association. We would appreciate that. As I mentioned earlier, sign up for the NDA newsletter. You can do that at deerassociation.com. That is free. Look forward to bringing you another episode, folks, here in a couple weeks. In the meantime, National Deer Association, where we are, United for Deer.